0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and other experts in the food and beverage industry about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Once restricted to a handful of products such as yogurt or other fermented products, probiotics increasingly are popping up in unexpected places, including baked goods, juices, cereals, and snack bars, and as a result, this previously relatively unheard of organism is now enjoying unprecedented popularity with many consumers scrambling to consume them on a near daily basis. And who could blame them based on some of the clinical research and marketing material that accompanies these products and make probiotics sound like a panacea for a wide range of health and beauty concerns? but as with any emerging trend or maturing trend for that matter, not everything consumers or manufacturers hear about probiotics is true. To help cut through the myths and lore surrounding probiotics and to identify the facts on which companies can confidently base new product development, I caught up with Mike Bush, the president of Ganaden, which is a leading provider in branded probiotic ingredients. You're probably most familiar with the company's Ganaden BC30, which thanks to its unique form, has been added successfully to more than 100 products across a wide range of food and beverage categories. But before we begin separating out the facts from fiction on probiotics, it's important to understand just how popular the ingredients are and how they become such a commodity across food and beverage sectors. Mike estimates that the probiotic industry is worth roughly $40 billion, and contrary to what some might believe, the vast majority of that is in the food and beverage space with only about 4 to 5 billion coming from supplement sales.
1: What we're finding and what we're hearing from consumers over and over again is that they want to take a probiotic every single day. They they want to have easy for them to work with and something that easily fits into their lifestyle. And so supplement compliance is relatively low. Um, I know that I have many, many bottles of unfinished supplements in my cupboard. I have very little unfinished food in my kitchen. And so I do know that I eat every day, and I know that sometimes I forget to take my supplements, whether I'm traveling or it's just a hectic day or whatever the case may be, and I'm pretty diligent. And so consumers are telling us, put the probiotics in things that we already enjoy. So. If we already eat or if we already drink tea every day, why not put probiotics into tea? Or if we already um, consume snack bars as a way to, to, to supplement their nutrition, uh, why not put it into bars? Or, you know, why not just put it into things like the like non-dairy spreads or orange juice or things like that? And so it's given us the opportunity to take a look at the market and take a look at the opportunities and really go where consumers are going and so it's, it's allowed us to open up the market into places that were ordinarily not ever considered as a, as a possibility for the probiotic in general.
0: Mike says Ganaden is able to help such a diverse clientele formulate probiotics into their products, in part because its founders were super lucky.
1: We're super lucky in that the founder of our company discovered this family of probiotics years ago. Um, And we were able to characterize them, optimize them uh, through natural processes, and then patent them. And so that was in the good old days when you could still um, more easily than now patent a living organism. And so this particular organism is uh, designed by nature to to form a spore. So inside of the cell itself is this protective little spore that, it, that the organism can form. And what that spore does is it protects the genetic material so that when the organism is no longer in an environment that is um, conducive to growth, it just goes dormant in the spore. It's kind of like a seed, you know, you'll, you may have a seed and that seed can last for many, many years versus that you know, carrot you know, only lasts so long. And so, but you can grow more carrots with your seeds. And so in the case of our particular organism, which is, um, it's marketed under the trade name of Ganadin BC30, but it's, it's actually a strain of Bacillus coagulans, namely it's Bacillus coagulans TBI 306086. And so that organism, what we do is we force it to go into its spore form and we force it to be dormant so that when food companies use it, they put it in their food, and then at the, you know, at the last day of shelf life, when somebody consumes it, um, we want to make sure that, like I said, on that last day of shelf life, that that organism is there, ready to grow and does what it's supposed to do and does, and provides that clinic, the clinical benefits that we that we study. And so, uh, we we just lucked out and happened to find something that is exceptionally stable.
0: But let's be honest, it isn't all luck. Given the tight margins in the food and beverage industry, most companies are not going to pay for an additional ingredient or the cost of reformulating an existing product to include probiotics unless it will help boost sales, which is something Mike says Ganeden BC30 does.
1: A couple years ago, we started working with a company and they wanted to do a probiotic product, but they weren't absolutely convinced that it was gonna you know, move the needle for them. And so what they did is they probiotic-fortified one SKU, and then they had its you know its, its identical SKU without the probiotic sitting next to it on the shelf, and they saw about a 25 to 28% bump in, in top-line sales on that particular SKU, which of course we all wrote off to an anomaly and they did the same thing again, and they saw the same type of bump. And then they, uh, they continued to do these things. And so what they found was is by adding the probiotic, and then we you know, subsequently, you know, we as a company went back and did a large consumer survey where we looked at consumers' willingness to pay more, um, consumers' willingness to take a product that, that has a probiotic in it versus one that does not. Um, and we saw across the board an increased willingness to purchase a product um, for, you know, looking at price flexibility anywhere from a couple of percent all the way to 25 percent. Consumers said they'd be willing to pay more if they could have the added benefit of the probiotic um, versus the, you know, the the non-probiotic fortified product. If Because if you think about it, if you take a probiotic supplement, you're going to pay anywhere from, let's call it, 30 cents to a couple dollars per capsule per day. And so if you can get that same benefit, if you can get a, a clinically studied benefit in a food product and even if the food product costs a couple extra cents or you know, 5% more, it's a food product that you already consume so that the consumer has that price flexibility because they're first of all adding something that they, now they don't have to get that supplement or they may have the supplement for when they you know, want supplementation um, but it allows them to have, in a very price- and cost-effective manner, something that provides the benefits that they're looking for.
0: Probiotics, and especially BC30, also offer a smart business proposition for manufacturers trying to keep up with consumers' growing demands for food and beverage products that are functional and will support them in their health and wellness endeavors.
1: So it depends on whose survey you look at, but but north of 70% of consumers Understand what probiotics are and understand that they provide a health benefit. Uh, the, the most common health benefit that, probi- that consumers equate or link to probiotics is digestive. Um, we're starting to see more and more where people understand the immune connection. And now, because the mainstream media has really kind of grabbed a hold of probiotics in general, we hear constantly. You know, when, if I'm at a cocktail party and say, "Oh, you're in the probiotic business." tell me about probiotics and weight loss or tell me about probiotics and, you know, mood or tell me about what you know about probiotics and metabolic syndrome or, or cardiac health because these areas are all being studied and they're all, we're all seeing, you know, a variety of levels of clinical efficacy um, when it comes to these particular, you know, endpoints. And so I think it's just that consumer interest is at an all-time high. Um, You know, thanks to companies like P&G and Wreck-It and, and, you know, Dannon and Bayer who have spent, you know, many, many millions of dollars over the years in advertising probiotics, Uh, consumer interest is there. But now the mainstream media is also covering it and saying, you know, there's there's more to it than just digestion.
0: While health claims may be a key reason that consumers want products that are fortified with probiotics, They also are what can get manufacturers in trouble if they're not carefully crafted to reflect what the specific strains and doses in each product can deliver, Mike warns. He also notes that this brings us to our first major probiotic myth, and that's the idea that all probiotic strains are created equal.
1: Yeah, health claims, like all things probiotic, are very specifically related to the individual strain. So in our case, every every clinical study that we look at, every claim that we make, are specifically on the s- studies relating to bacillus coagulans gbi thirty, six oh eighty six. So you may have another strain of bacillus coagulans um, that may be super resilient, but really what it's used for is let's say, industrial production of lactic acid, and it grows rather than at the 30 degrees that getting BC30 grows at, it grows optimally at 45 degrees or 50 degrees. Um, and it maybe not, maybe even if it would grow, which you know, 45 degrees C doesn't do you a whole lot of good in the human body, so that spore would just you know pass right through, um, And so we need to make sure that when we're making health claims, no matter what they are, even in the case of Ganaden, even for any of our customers to say that it contains a probiotic, they have to have the minimally effective dose of 500 million CFU per day um, in their product, or else it's just not a project that we're interested in moving forward with, um, because we want to make sure, first of all, that they can support their claims. We also want to make sure that, you know, if our mothers or aunts or uncles or brothers or whomever or friends go out and buy a product that has the Ghanaian BC30 logo on it, they're buying it because they expect it to have probiotic functionality. And so we, so we very rigorously test every single product that we're in and we make sure that what's supposed to be in there is in there. But again, when you make a claim, you have to have the clinical studies to support it on the individual strain. You can't just say, acidophilus does this or acidophilus does that, it is what does this particular strain of acidophilus do? Um, to kind of put that in perspective, a couple of years ago, a university sequenced 100 different strains of lactobacillus rhamnosus, of which the kind of, let's just call it the reference, was lactobacillus GG, and that's the product that is in, for example, Culturelle. And what they found was is there was genetic variances um, so they sequenced all these organisms. They found that there's genetic variances ranging from 99.9% similar to 87% similar. And so, you know, these here we have these, you know, little microorganisms, um, and people say, well, the lactobacillus rhamnosus does this. And that's, that's very untrue because, you know, some of these strains of lactobacillus rhamnosus had less in common with one another than humans have with chimpanzees. And so that's just like saying that, they, that you know, monkeys and, or chimpanzees and humans are the same. Uh, or in some of the cases that, that these really, you know, distantly related like so pacillus strains, you know, we have more in common genetically with mice than these two strains have. So it really goes to show that we really need to do the studies on the individual strains. And when you make a claim, it has to be backed by peer-reviewed, you know, published data, and then, uh, you know, folks should be able to comfortably make that claim so long as they're putting in an efficacious dose of, of, you know, whatever that amount, whatever that dose is, was studied in clinicals, then you should feel comfortable being able to support that claim as long as that dose is in your finished product.
0: With this in mind, Mike says that manufacturers that want to formulate with probiotics need to answer a few simple but significant questions first.
1: So the so a manufacturer really needs to look at, you know, does it? Can you check the two in, two main boxes, which is, can they support claims and is it safe? And then the real big question is, is will it survive our product? Because having a efficacious, safe organism that's dead um, in a product just for just for marketing sake by saying you know made with live probiotics or something like that, um, you know, it's just it's all just marketing schlock, and, and it doesn't benefit the consumer, and ultimately it hurts the industry.
0: But Mike warns having living probiotics in products should not be confused with products claiming to have live active culture. He explains that another common myth that he wants to see busted is the erroneous belief that the live active culture seal indicates that a yogurt also is probiotic.
1: The live active culture seal is actually a a registered trademark that you can license from the yogurt Association. Um, so it, it actually has an, an actual meaning, and that is that, um, that for example, you have in a, let's call it yogurt, you need to have 100 million CFU per gram of material at time of manufacture of lactobacillus bulgaricus and streptococcus thermophilus. So those are the strains that turn milk into yogurt. And you need to have 100 million CFU, you know, at, per gram of material at time of manufacture. Um, they also want you to have it there when it's consumed. But what's being inf- so saying that something has live active cultures may mean that it has live active cultures. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has that it's probiotic um, unless those individual strains of Of *Bulgaricus* and *Streptococcus* are actually studied to show benefits in humans. You can't really call it probiotic, Um, but you you know you can say it has live active cultures. But you need to make sure that those cultures being used have been studied and they can actually produce a benefit in the human. Besides just turning milk into delicious yogurt.
0: According to Mike, yogurt isn't the only segment that struggles with misleading consumers. Even if unintentionally, about the potential value or benefit of probiotics in it, he says the problem also extends to other fermented foods such as sauerkraut or kimchi and tempeh, just to name a few.
1: I mean, we even see products on the market that say, you know, delicious fresh probiotic, you know, insert you know product name here, and um, and I'm quite certain that most of the companies that are saying that in these naturally fermented products. Have no idea what bacteria is in their product, and if they do know what's in there, I doubt if they know whether or not that particular strain has been shown as being effective for, you know, any type of you know, beneficial endpoint.
0: Well, that's actually kind of scary.
1: Yeah, it is. It's it. What it is is to you know. In, in my mind, it's it's you know. Whenever we have a market that's growing as well as the probiotic market is. Um, there'll always be folks that say, you know, hey, this is, this is kind of probiotic. or you know, And I believe that in most cases, they are genuinely um, considering that their product is, is probiotic. I don't think there's a lot of maliciousness going on. I think that, though, that they say, you know, here we make this, this, you know, this absolutely delif- delicious tempeh and it's probiotic because it's a fermented product. Um, But because they don't fully understand what it really means to be probiotic and what it really means to, you know, have a well-characterized organism. Um, So I think think that, that the time has come where I think that education is starting to get out there. And, you know, I know that we're trying to do our best to explain that to folks. Uh, the International Probiotics Association that I'm involved in is, is doing a great job educating, you know, manufacturers and especially regulators. And, as with, and on the science side, ISAP is doing a great job. So just one of those things that I think it just involves some additional consumer education right now. It's not, it's not a, by any, any means is it, it, is it, you know, freak out time. But I think it is time that these companies start to understand what it really means to be probiotic.
0: Another myth that Mike wanted to set the record straight on is the notion that products need a universal number of CFUs of probiotics to be effective. He explained that how many CFUs a product needs to deliver a benefit really depends on the specific strain used.
1: Some strains have been shown to be highly effective at 30 billion CFU per day. Some have been shown to be highly effective at a billion a day or five billion a day, while others have been shown to be effective at 500 million a day.
0: A myth on the flip side of this issue is an emerging notion, or question really, about whether or not people can consume too many probiotics, especially as they're added into more and more products across categories. But Mike explained that while this could be a risk with some probiotics, it's not with Ganaden's BC30
1: when you file with the FDA and you, you submit your grass documentation, you let them know what upper level of potential exposure could be. So for example, to determine that, we did a one-year study where we, where we fed mice BC-30 every single day for a year, and we showed that the upper level was right around 96 billion CFU per day on a long-term basis, uh, and they experienced no, no ill effects. We just couldn't get them to eat anymore. So the question came up just recently, which is, well, if, if, if there are 15 products on the market that all have BC-30 in it, you have to stand the risk of getting too much. And if you, do the, if you do the calorie counting on this, the issue would not be getting too much BC-30, the issue would be morbid obesity. Or diabetes because you would be consuming tens of thousands, if not you know twenty twenty-five thousand calories a day in order to consume that much BC thirty in foods, and so you know it's that's you know in particular as it relates specifically to BC thirty because the efficacious level is so low at five hundred million to a billion, and the upper level of our safety is up at ninety-six billion. Um, There could be misconceptions as to, you know, the number of SKUs you can put in or, you know, when is the market considered saturated. Um, And we think we have a really long way to go before we have products that are appealing to every single class of consumer.
0: Reflecting on the many myths swirling around probiotics, Mike emphasized a common theme among them and the most important message that manufacturers, consumers, and retailers should take away is that everything about probiotics comes down to the specific strains used.
1: If you see on a label somebody listing that it contains lactobacillus acidophilus, you should ask yourself why is it that they're not telling you what strain of acidophilus it is? Or you know if it's just listing just probiotics or a proprietary blend, the question you should ask yourself is, is do I really want to spend my money on this? Or do I want to look for something that, that has verified research strains? And there are a good number of companies out there that are doing a great job and they're doing great research and they're spending millions and millions of dollars. And so, you know, the probiotic industry is full of good players and it's also full of folks that just want to, you know, just that are marketers. And so I would suggest that people do a really good job of, Making sure that what they're looking at is the actual strain that, that is going to provide whatever benefits, the just for immune or whatever, um, versus just you know doing playing, you know cell count jujitsu and saying well this is that thirty billion so it has to be better than the one with five.
0: So some strong actionable advice for consideration among manufacturers that want to add probiotics to their products, and consumers looking for products to help them maintain a healthy, happy gut and all the other benefits that stem from that. I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week, and I hope you will join us again next week. Until then, for Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, I'm Elizabeth Crawford.